Welcome to Black and Green Podcast, episode number 15. It is about to be October 4th, 2018. Uh, so for this episode, got something a little special. We had the honor of having nearly all the editors of Black and Green Review, which is a annual journal that I'm the founding co-editor of, uh, out together at John Zerzan's house in Eugene, Oregon this last weekend. So we had the rare opportunity of recording a little bit of a discussion there. Uh, and uh, working around navigating what it's like to do a roundtable discussion with uh, six people and two microphones. So uh, I've got that for you guys in a minute here, uh, and we will play that. But in the meantime, there's a couple things to catch up on. First, if you are not familiar, the website for the Black Green Podcast has actually changed. So it is all at primalanarchy.org now, and also... It has been uploaded on all the standard kind of nerd things as well because it has its own RSS feed there. So if you listen to podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, you can get it off there. It's also on the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network uh, and uh, anywhere else that you can get them at, I am am relatively unfamiliar with. So uh, if there's something I'm missing... You can send an email to blackandgreenpress at gmail.com and let me know what I should be doing there. Otherwise, um, huge thanks to everybody who supports the podcast through Patreon and through PayPal. If you go to primaldayanarchy.org, there's a support tab, and that has all of that kind of information there. It goes a long way uh, and has gotten us a second microphone, has gotten us a website. So to those who have helped, uh, give yourself a little round of applause. Thank you very much. It is appreciated. And the biggest thing is the black and green press books. That's kind of really what this all stems from, where all this is going. Uh, My newest book, Gathered Remains, is relatively new. And also all the issues of Black and Green Review, almost all of them, I think, are on the website right now. Uh, And then there's the other books that we've had out as well. If you pick those up, that's a big help. And if you've got a bookstore that you think should pick them up or a distro that you think should help them pick them up, then uh, give them a give them a nudge. But if you go to blackandgreenreview.org, there's a purchase tab and all the books that are there. There's also some shirts, things like that. Uh, all that stuff is a massive help. So, uh, without further ado, here is the discussion amongst most of the Black and Green Review editors, and uh, I will catch you afterwards. Actually, I lied. Uh, real quick, I wanted to interject that uh, it's been a bit since this podcast has started and it's also had in 15 episodes it hasn't really had anything kind of introductory and I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast are not necessarily going to be familiar with the ideas of uh, primal anarchy the ideas of anarcho-primitivism or green anarchy or anti-civilization anarchism or anything like it or know anything about hunter-gatherers so at some point here in the near future I will probably do an episode that will just be explaining a lot of that stuff um, and if you have questions, if there's things that you're curious about, uh, please let me know. And again, uh, you can email at blackandgreenpress at gmail.com. And I will do my best to answer all that and get that kind of comprehensive and figure out a way with all the podcast formatting and everything to kind of keep that episode up top. So that will be coming in the near future. And we'll probably help explain a few more things in the discussion that you're going to hear if you have not had any exposure to these ideas. So, look for that. 
This is the first version of a black and green review editors roundtable, and I got a number of editors here with me, so I'm going to let them all introduce themselves, and you can hear their beautiful voices. Well, this is Cliff, Cliff Hayes, and uh, I like the color blue. Blue's a good color, Cliff. I'm Evan. Um, I once pissed my pants for primitivism. I'm Jay-Z, one of the editors, one of the thousands of editors. I'm Lilia. I'm another editor. I'm Yank. So we've been talking here a bit about the relationship of Black and Green Review and anarcho-primitivism to anarchy in general uh, and wondering about the terms, wondering about a relationship to the anarchist world. Uh, and a lot of what we have done with Black and Green Review hasn't been explicitly for uh, an anarchist audience and trying to address the fact that, you know, there's a lot of reasons people come into this stuff and come into a critique of civilization. Uh, and also the general understandings about what it means to be hunter-gatherer and how that's impacted us as individuals, us as humans, and our history and the trajectory of civilization in trying to subjugate that. Uh, so, you know, we kind of come to the question of, of does do we have a place within the anarchist world? And what we're talking about in terms of hunter-gatherer life is a functional, primal anarchistic society. This is something that I believe is human nature, and you can see throughout the evolution of our world as, as having been creatures of a band-level society and living in these very egalitarian societies that aren't based off of ideas but just function uh, in this way and function in this egalitarian way. Uh, what, what does that mean for us? And I guess the bigger question that we've, we've had a lot of resistance with within the anarchist world uh, and one reason for kind of asking some of these questions in the first place comes down to why, why is it that if we're, if we're anarchists or talking to other anarchists, why would this be overlooked? Why is this something that's not being addressed more? Why is there such an aversion uh, amongst other people who are ideally looking for an egalitarian world or egalitarian society? Um, why, why is this something that they they're seem to be pushing away from or seem to get a lot of pushback from? It may have something to do with the general defeatism, it seems to me. And, uh, I, so that I don't even know, I'm not real sure what it means to be an anarchist anymore if you explicitly throw in the towel. I mean, are you still an anarchist? Or in what way are you? Or, you know, what what exactly does it mean? Or, or what uh, does someone stand for? It's especially elusive in a kind of a postmodern culture, I realize. But the whole thing about uh, why aren't there more anarchists, as a friend of ours uh, expressed puzzlement about that in the, I mean, after like 20 years or so, and not just among us, it goes back further than that, the questions about civilization, or we didn't invent those. But uh, at the same time, I think there are people that don't identify themselves as anarchists or don't immediately think of themselves as such, and yet they are very interested in this so maybe it's a question of how much denial you have maybe that's part of it as well that you don't want to think about how far we need to go to challenge things you just decide you can't challenge things close the door uh, i'm not sure <coughs> i think in in recent years maybe the last decade especially um there's been elements in popular culture where the critique uh, has gone deeper than, than anarchists have been willing to go in a lot of ways. Um, and maybe 
the pieces haven't been put together into a holistic picture and that's where I think um, primal anarchism kind of comes in um, to kind of have that holistic picture but you know you see the things like the, the paleo diet you saw I think a couple months ago on the cover of Outside Magazine uh, about rewilding um, and it's really disjointed and, and, and um, traditional anarchists are not willing to engage in that in a lot of ways we hear the same stories. It was uh, kind of stuck in a um, repetitive 19th century um, ideology and buying into the same myths about um, optimism around technology um, to solve the issues and whatnot. But um, yeah, I think that there's a lot outside of the uh, anarchist ghetto that um, uh, we can do to kind of connect those dots and um, and yeah, and let the anarchist ghetto do do what it does. So I mean, I think that in general, that um, you know, there there's that realization that so much of the world is is kind of figuring these things out at a faster rate than the anarchist world, and and kind of like the uh, you know some of that pushback being that there is so much kind of leftist resurgence and leftism within. Uh, anarchism or radicalism or anything like that and you know to a certain degree there's there's people who have been fighting for you know equality versus egalitarianism for example within a legal structure within the existing structure are more prone to actually be invested in the idea of civilization the idea of like promoting things and pushing them forward uh, but I also think that maybe a part of it just has to do with like kind of the the hugeness of being against civilization or realizing that civilization itself is a problem kind of leaves you in this place where you're like what the fuck do I do with this and if you're coming from more traditional activism it's more recall and response just like this is what the scenario is and then this is how I'm going to act to it I can say no to this thing and when you're talking about civilization it's a lot more complicated than just saying you know no to civilization because it's it's everywhere and also you know that makes it easier for people to do this really kind of common thing that I think we all see pretty often which is, well, if you're using technology, if you have a cell phone, if you use a computer and you're doing all these things, like then, you know, you're a hypocrite. So if we're a hypocrite, and, and I see this a lot, and I've even seen people talk about this with the podcast, particularly people who aren't so much involved in, in the anarchist world or with this critique in general, um, where they see it and they're like, well, you're talking to a computer and you're doing this stuff. And, you know, so what's it at? Does this actually mean anything to you? And yeah, I mean, it does. And I mean, it, it it just goes to show that there's so much entrapment in, in the idea of civilization, such kind of like a, an innate core of us that's being shaken when we're talking about civilization explicitly, that it makes it really easy to just kind of knee jerk and reaction to any of these ideas and look for kind of a way out. And the idea that if we're talking about civilization and we haven't stopped civilizing or whatever you want to say or being a part of it, then, you know, somehow us being hypocrites makes the things that we're saying not true and of course that's the whole thing and that's why you know, we're talking about anarchic primitivism we're talking about primal anarchy uh, you know the the idea being that you know human nature does exist and I, I believe in it's demonstrable and i believe that you know when you look at how the process of domestication works it looks different in any different society but it always attacks the same core things we need community we need a, a relationship with the world we need a relationship with other people uh, and that's always what's kind of pried apart and resold to us and so that, to me, it means something that, that has significance. And I think that we can see that over and over again. But within this critique and within this understanding, you have to realize that you're not 
this isolated self. You're not this isolated core. Civilization doesn't start or stop whether you do one thing or another, but about how the society works at large and, you know, what, what options are there in the world. And when you look at uh, uncontacted societies, horticulturalists, nomadic hunter-gatherers, or sedentary hunter-gatherers, you know, they're constantly having to fight this intrusion. They're constantly having to fight for their ability to continue living the way that they have for, you know, potentially thousands of years, potentially tens to hundreds of thousands of years. But, you know, these are these are major issues and there's are things that we're all facing, regardless of what role it is we believe that we can take within it. And it's the idea kind of implicit in notions of freedom and civilization that, you know, well, if we don't like it, then we can just opt out. And that's that's not the reality. This is a bigger issue. And that means, you know, having bigger questions about, you know, is this just down to my individual choices, my individual responsibility, or do, you know, I need to just say, like, I'm not going to be so hung up on what I personally am or am not doing, despite what I'm going to try to do and despite what I'm trying to do in my own life, but actually to make some kind of, uh, ideally, hopefully to make some kind of difference to make some kind of impact and actually continue just targeting it and not letting it just kind of float by unnoticed, as so many people are willing to do or to buy into the ideas that, you know, we can make change in small increments and that's going to improve it. Is I truly believe that we're not going to see an ecologically sustainable civilization, which uh, I don't know if the left has realized yet, and certainly not the liberals who think that this civilization can be made that way. Do you think that, going back to the original question about why aren't anarchists engaging with these, um, how do you want to call it, primal anarchist kind of uh, critiques or ideas, is it because... Um, it's such a, a difficult break to make that they just don't make the break at all and it's easy to stay within the uh, the confines of civilizations and the and the, the avenues that they, I don't know, it's almost like the avenues they provide for resistance to exist within and and that that's, that's it. That's what the, maybe the anarchists do. I mean, so yeah, I think it's just like the, the basis of you know, kind of activist channels that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's easier just to respond to individual things and like not to, you know, to, to focus on the individual projects instead of looking at the whole thing, which I mean, it's, it's not like there's anything about anarcho-primitivism that overrides like single issue campaigns or, or smaller issue campaigns or more specific instances or any kind of like resistance outside of saying like it's either, you know, you're destroying civilization or taking out the grid or nothing at all. I think that, and this is something Evan said that I, I constantly reference. This is a long time ago that you said it. Like, you know, the anarcho primitivist critique, or you know, talk about primal anarchy. Uh, it's just this web, and if you pull any individual strand long enough, the whole thing comes unraveled. So I think in 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 that respect, in that regard, you know, I it it becomes kind of easy to be really passive about these critiques, or to become really like you know, just to look at them and have that reaction, like, well, this isn't solving these individual problems that I'm involved in. Uh, where does it fit in this grand picture? And it's just so much easier. And it's not to say people are copping out or anything like it. I don't think a lot of this stuff is intentional. Uh, but it is, and I, and I had that moment, like whenever um, I was going along my trajectory and finding Green Anarchy, and then uh, John got on the, the front page of Time and, and all the magazines in 99, you know, kind of seeing it and be like, oh shit, well, this is what it is. But, it, you know, a couple of years prior, going into deep ecology and ecofeminism, kind of looking at agriculture, and then the immediate thing when you feel, when you realize, like, 
agriculture is itself a problem is kind of what the fuck do you do with this and of course deep ecology and like the things that like a group like earth first that responds to it i mean that's why they get involved in these these individual issues and looking at individual things it's because it is there's a degree of it that it's just like an ethos and a degree of it is just like you know well we've got this idea but the practice is really just like we're going to stop this dam we're going to stop this pipeline we're going to stop ranchers in this case or that case um which again and none of those things are necessarily wrong but i think it's more important or it is an important part of all of that to always be cognizant of like the bigger picture and try and tie it back and show how these individual things tie into the bigger picture yeah i think there's been uh, a reaction to what some call grand narratives (laughs) but to me which are when we talk about connecting the dots and having a more holistic big picture view (coughs) of how um of how things are connected and i think that's a big value in um, the anarcho-primitivist critique however there's a lot of antagonism to that as being itself um uh, its own its own repressive apparatus somehow and that was kind of the the postmodernist argument for a long time but um, uh, we can see where that's led us. Um, you know, identity politics, uh, double-edged sword that um, you know the right has certainly embraced. Um, we we live in the postmodern era of, of 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 Trump. It's it's precisely now where we need to have a more holistic perspective that primal anarchism, anarcho-primitivism can 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 provide. But unfortunately, most anarchists are still. Um, still stuck in the in, in that, that that postmodern web um and i found that most of the productive discussions that i've had with folks uh come from outside of that um there's not really any discussion i've had with an anarchist that's advanced the ideas along um in years and uh yeah i think the ideas get advanced more talking with with other folks who um, are exploring those 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 strands of the the web that you start to pick apart and discover discover new things along the way. So just to interject real quick, and I know I've talked about this on other episodes, and there's there's going to be some more about it in uh, Black and Green Review number six, which will be out this fall winter. Um, you know, we've been using the word primal anarchy kind of interchangeably with anarcho primitivism, and it's it's something I've been doing for for quite a while now, and something that we've been discussing. Uh, in, in relationship to this question, in relationship of what is our relationship with the anarchist world. And for the most part, green anarchy in general and anarcho primitivists in particular uh, have been kind of shunned off and, and written off by a lot of anarchists. And in the name anarcho primitivism, uh, it kind of takes like two different milieus. So you got primitivism, which frankly is a term that doesn't have any meaning without being modified in some terms. It's a art movement, it's a historical movement, and realistically it can be. Um, you know, it's, it's self-referential in terms of time. Primitive just means earlier. And of course, like in our case, we are speaking more specifically about, you know, indigenous societies and everything, but considering we aren't accepting any kind of timeline to progress or timeline to civilization, the whole time element is something we're not really that interested in. And frankly, none of us use the word primitive uh, without kind of quotations, without context in any other regard. And it's kind of anything but, and that's why primal was more important because a hunter-gatherer is who you are, and everything else is just how you've been channeled or domesticated or conditioned. And then anarcho, of course, anarchist. And, you know, there's there's groups like the main anarchist publisher and distribution, AK Press, like refuse to carry our stuff. They refuse to carry John's books. They refuse to carry my books. They won't touch it. They don't want anything to do with it. And, 
you know, uh, and then you get to the more extreme examples, like something more recently is uh, this groups called the eco extremists, uh, which are just like these ridiculous, potentially not even very real uh, kind of characters that are just based off of everything's fucked so we can just kill whoever and just going to this like almost comedically horrible places of just you know everybody's a target kill everything um and it's just kind of insane and we're just kind of stuck under this thing i i kind of feel even you know it's stupid to talk this much about words sometimes but uh i kind of feel like the term traps us within two milieus which we're not really at home and there's nothing about anarcho-primitivism that i'm against at all and i'll always be an anarcho-primitivist and it's it's been you know, pretty world-changing for me, but there is kind of this realization as well. Anarcho-primitivism started in, in questioning, particularly questioning John's been doing, and I, I feel like we have gotten to the point where, you know, there's, there's still questions to be asked, and there's still a lot of gaps to fill, but we, we kind of found this, and I mean, it's not like we were the first ones to do it or anything, and going back to Kropotkin, um, and, you know, it, there's there's a lot, and all this stuff in Kropotkin's work as a naturalist, which he expanded to look at hunter-gatherers and horticulturalists and understanding how anarchism works and practice within human societies and without, uh, you know, what does that all mean? And he just kind of kept going with it and kind of extrapolating it um, as a 1900s era Tsar or son of a, a prince uh, might have found in a in the industrializing world, having grown up in a country that hadn't fully gone through its industrial revolution yet. It's a little easier to romanticize that, but, you know, uh, over a hundred years later, we kind of lose the benefit of playing ignorant to all that. So, uh, you know, using this term, it's not like, you know, it's not like really a rebranding or anything like that, but just trying to give more context and trying to say like, you know, there's, there is a greater question here about is the anarchist world something that we, we consider to be worth entertaining is the anarchist world, something we consider to be the people we're engaging with. And, we haven't shut the door, but I mean, we've, we've had the door shut on us enough that I think that these concepts have enough to show for themselves that the entire like milieu of anarchism or the entire history of anarchism doesn't necessarily help clarify. And if we're just drawing people towards that, you know, that doesn't, it doesn't explain anything. Here's the thing that kind of exists on its own. So I guess maybe going around uh, and asking, I mean, I don't know, like I hadn't formulated that as a question really. Um, you know, is is the anarchist world something worth engaging? Is that something worth keeping on? Are we pushing people uh, towards something that, you know, people end up looking at something that's totally garbage like anarchist news um, or something that's, you know, very much pro-civilization, pro-industrial like AK Press or projects like that. So where does that leave us? Uh, yeah, so, you know, I recently heard, for example, that, that Murray Bookchin is back in style. <laughs> which just cracks me up. It's like, uh, didn't we have those conversations uh, already? Um, and once again, like I said, within the anarchist mu uh, milieu, um, I've heard the, the same things over and over again. And so there's a certain point at which uh, I'm happy to advance the conversations with, uh, with, with, with other folks. Not that I'm going to close myself off to anyone, but... Um, you know, let's see when an uh, anarchist comes with something that advances the, the critique or the ideas instead of the same old rhetorical um, uh, arguments about the noble savage or about, um, uh, you know, wh wh what have you. Uh, 
so yeah i'm just looking to to advance the critique and wherever that may come from maybe part of it is the fact that uh we see a lot of anarchists who are explicitly jaded and cynical they they cop to it even and and you know nihilists egoists there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of juice at the same time you probably couldn't find people that are kind of involved in the whole anarchist thing one way or another rarely do you even though there are there's a there's an inertia there's some leftover leftism but i think most people would would say they're anti-sif you know but that doesn't mean much and you know if people have been anarchists for a while and nothing has changed they've tried they've failed so they're done you know that's that part of it at least to some degree is is understandable Whereas people who aren't anarchists or haven't been, quote, political, they haven't tried and failed. So maybe they're more receptive just because of that. And, you know, we there are all these pathologies. That they're just scary. There's so, so much of that in society. Because, as you see it historically, it's, uh, when you have a period of retreat and low energy, you just have these uh, unhealthy things because there's, there's, there aren't social movements radical currents that are pushing that really have some aim that's uh you know radical and healthy it's not not so much there with some exceptions or there there have been and are some nice exceptions to that but you know overall this is kind of a not so fallow period and but i think uh the the, the critique of civilization and, and all the rest of it technology and the entire ensemble of it the whole fabric of it the whole really from a to z is just visibly a disaster it's more disastrous viscerally palpably by the hour you could say so i think that you know that's the obvious reason why people are and we don't know how many but i think there's you know there is a growing interest in the kind of stuff we're talking about the questions we're posing we're always looking for helpful ideas there's got to be new ideas and new approaches you don't get so much of it in a in a sort of a dead time. So you know it's it's not the it's not the most pretty picture. It, the the people falling back and just kind of well there's so there's so much just simple defeat like Paul Kingsnorth or quite a number of people have just said, look, we're not going to overcome this. This horror show is going to go on forever, and you're stupid if you think there's any possibility of 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 winning whatever that means of changing it of really tackling it well we don't feel that way I, I think we I can generally speak for us I don't know but you know if you just come to that conclusion well then it's just uh, yeah cynical and jaded and what makes people like that anarchists I don't I don't know if they are if you are not if you don't stand for anything and of course that's a nasty thing to stand for something in a generally postmodern uh culture you know is uh, we just referred to that just a, just a minute ago about how the postmodern thing was based on the whole rejection of what are called meta narratives or overall grasp of things the the totality is totalitarianism one very succinct way they put it and that was generally aimed at marxism which that's i think that's quite valid to aim at just at that but if you if you completely give up on the idea of having some overall sense of things, 
you know, what is this whole thing? Why does it go this way? Why is it, why is it arrived at this place? And well, then you're kind of disabled. You don't, you just don't have much to work with. So once you throw that out, then you, you're very, uh, very disabled. I think um, for anarchists and anyone who's thinking about the problem of um, civilization in general, I think it's a really, it's often a really crushing and debilitating thing to be thinking about. I think you can draw parallels with thinking about climate change, and I think there's been a lot of discussion around. Um, you know, how do we as individuals deal with the concept of climate change? You know, it's just so big and it's, it's, you know, it's crippling. And I think it causes a lot of depression in people. I think there's a lot of uh, grief issues that people are dealing with. And I, I think that's a lot of stuff that is going unrecognized and is uh, part of the reason why people find it so hard to really face these issues is because there's this actually a lot of this sort of deeply repressed emotional kind of baggage associated with it all so i think we're going to have to find some way to kind of deal with that as well really and i do have to agree and i think that you know that's that's something that comes up on the podcast and a number of other places as well and dealing with these things as a a community issue and dealing with these things as as you know a much larger holistic kind of issue is that you know we're kind of used to a lot of the, the flack we get, you know, as anarcho-primivists or as primal anarchists, whatever, uh, or just, you know, advocating against civilization um, in, in terms of people saying uh, or just kind of rejecting some of the core ideas or rejecting the, the entirety of it because it is it is a lot to take in. And there's no end to it that isn't depressing. And I think the more that you understand about the world and the more you understand about the way the world functions and also how much under attack it is and how much we have been subjugated and we're talking about domestication, which is your relationship with how you see the world and how you involve other people. It's a pretty core shaking thing. And I mean, there's no question about it that we're going to get knee jerk reactions to it and plenty of history to show that we do. And I, I do get that. I do get where that comes from. I know, but that's not, as, you know, as John would say, it's not a reason for retreat. It's a means to, you know, this shows how deep it goes and how much has to be challenged. And I think that's one of the things about, you know, where we're coming from with Black and Green Review, with, with anarcho-primitivism, with just pushing for primal anarchy, you know, people tend to focus on, uh, it's like uh, the anthropological aspect of it or the ideological or not non-ideological, but the ideas of it and the ideals of it or whatever, or talking about historical aspects or just looking at critiques of technology. You know, I mean, that's, that's where all this stuff comes from. It's a very holistic thing. And it's meant to equally draw on all these different channels and all these different influences to say, you know, civilization impacts everything about the way that we interact with the world and the way that we've dominated the world and the, all the really fucked up shit that we do. So, you know, it, it's all about not any one thing, but all of these things and, and understanding how civilization functions in terms of ecology and understanding how history works in terms of, uh, you know, systems and how, you know, trying to find these different patterns and how they play out. And I think that that's been really useful, uh, not for dismissing um, you know, the kind of stuff people get excited about. So for, you know, to talk about specifics in the world of Trump or the world of Trump as president or running for president, it gets so easy to just say, it's like, all right, well, we're all against this shit, right? I mean, we can all just kind of throw down and say that everything that we're seeing, which is a fucking lot, uh, is, is this big kind of thing. We can all kind of unify against it or, or whatever. And, uh, John's, John's pointed out often, you know, a standing rock, it got a lot of attention. It got a lot of sympathy. And then, you know, things still went bad. I mean, the Keystone XL pipeline is, is 
still pushing forward and that there's a lot of encampments with it and it's easy to say like well we need to look at the bigger picture we need to keep drawing out the bigger picture it's not just about trump it's not just about this individual pipeline it's not just about like you know uh native resistance versus you know capitalism or, or whatever it is it's not just about whether or not people are willing to say water is life uh it's not about any one of these individual things and it's not cynical to say you know we need to be wary of organizations we need to be worried of wary of all these different ideologies and wary of all these different kind of traps that come along with it and i can see how people would think that you know trying to constantly draw these things out would look cynical and i know with uh you know standing rock in particular again um i know john in particular got some flack uh for for some kind of cautionary statements about it but at the same time he was, he was fucking right i mean it was the there, there are layers to it. It's not just a matter of native versus non-native issue, but there was native corporations, native governments, uh, native tribal councils and things like that that are, can be bought. And in that case, they were. And that's one of the big things that, that really did undermine everything. And it's not just like, it's not the cynical thing to say. It's like, well, all right, it was a fa- success or failure. It's like it was a success in, in a great many areas, but there was a lot of pitfalls that kept it from becoming more so. And, and you know, we're going to see that play out again and again. And when there's things like right now, Enbridge Line 3 is getting a lot of resistance, and I think it's hopefully going to continue organizing that direction. Like, this isn't this isn't talking about history. This isn't philosophy. This isn't ideology. This is nothing like it. If these things are going to be successful, and I hope that they are, um, this, is, this is what it takes. You have to keep looking at it bigger. You have to keep looking at all the intricacies of it and realize that this isn't just a world where you can say it's like, well, fuck Trump or fuck this or fuck that, and that's good. Uh, because that puts you in bed with a lot of people and that's where uh, that's one of the things anarcho-primitivism and and was was really born of and even green anarchy was born of was you know this uh, these critiques that came out of the ultra left people like Perlman and Jacques Kamat talking about organization and even even within my own work and with stuff that we've been doing you know focusing on the questions about revolution itself and the difference between revolution and insurrection and uh, ideology and organization it's you know stuff that sounds big and in a big way, it is. But at the same time, there are practical reasons why you're doing this. And when you're looking at Standing Rock, or you're going to look at all the, the organization that's coming up and down and seems to be going very quickly whenever it comes to anything Trump related. Uh, you know, that's that's the reason all that stuff has that dead end. And that's, a, again, a very kind of practical application for the anarcho-primitivist critique. It's not to say you shouldn't do any of these things. Or you shouldn't be involved in any of these things. But if you want to understand the role that they play... Uh, and the role that the way that these things have gone down in the past and can continue to go down, you know, you need that bigger picture. You need to just realize that there's there's a lot of moving parts to all this stuff. I'm going to drop a little materialism here. I'm fine with <laughs> that. It's something me and Cliff were uh, talking about a little earlier, mentioned a little earlier. Um, ideas don't necessarily gain hold just because they're good ideas. Um you know, it's not like everyone will come around to anarcho-primitivism just because, you know, it, it happens to be right on a lot of things. Uh, ideas will gain hold when they um, exp- uh, help people with, uh, explain problems and have a framework for dealing with material issues that they deal with on a, on a daily basis. And I think that as, as civilization con- continues to collapse, we'll see anarcho-primitivism become more and more relevant to a wider audience and maybe it won't even be called anarcho-primitivism maybe it'll come from other areas but hopefully we'll have an influence on that dialogue 
Um, but at the same time, I think the background of a lot of anarchists here, in, especially in, in the U.S., it's it, it's not relevant to their daily lives necessarily. Um, you know, uh, because there are, we're living in a situation where civilization is simultaneously collapsing, and at the same time, it's producing the greatest wealth it ever has. Right? It's uh, it's this paradox, and uh, yeah, maybe there it, it's it's just they're doing too well off of civilization to try to really uh, uh, address its 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 roots. And I mean, I just want to add to that real quick in case you're unfamiliar. Materialism is not about being pro stuff, but uh, kind of a trajectory. And Evan and I are both coming from cultural materialism and also uh, four-legged human as well uh, pretty strongly. And it's been pretty prevalent in Black and Green Review, if you've read it, which you should. Uh, but to to understand that, you know, societies change not because of ideas, but material conditions change. And then the justification for that tends to become the focus so you know talking about domestication comes before the concept of it and nobody nobody just sat there and said wouldn't it be great if we could garden but uh started collecting a bunch of shit and started working themselves into it and then getting to the point where it's like well now our now our mythology is going to change um s- stuff like that uh but yeah no i definitely i definitely agree and i also do feel that there is a reality here that as as you know, things do get worse as society continues to collapse, that there is an aspect of it that, you know, let's say 10 years ago, some of these ideas were getting more attraction as ideas. And now that it's becoming more and more of a kind of a palatable reality that you you see shit just getting worse and getting to the point now where it feels like how, how much further is there? Is there, there's a, all right. So we discovered that the floor, there's a basement now. Uh, and, things are moving so fast and so insane that it just gets distracting. It gets hard to really focus on uh, any one issue, but it, 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 it shows that, you know, these things are becoming inescapable stuff. We were talking about 10 years, 20 years ago, whatever it's, it's really in full speed now in terms of technology, in terms of, you know, just, just collapse. And I've mentioned it before. Uh, I had a, a talk I had given in 2006 and I was talking about things like peak oil. Um, and, hydraulic fracturing at the time and this is something that even richard heinberg had talked about and a lot of other people involved in in peak oil uh discussions had been involved in are like well we know about hydraulic fracturing but it's too cost intensive it'll never happen uh, then the price of oil jumped over 50 dollars a barrel and all of a sudden hey we it can work i mean it's not to say it was a successful thing uh, and I, I talked about this in the essay ecology of a bubble um you know it was a shell game and it was it was a bubble in the worst sense and basically it was a ponzi scheme uh, not many people made money off of it, but we're all really stuck with the explosive reality of it. But it still was enough that it could kind of buy time and it could kind of create this idea that uh, things are kind of continuing on. But the reality of it is, is that we're seeing now people's houses are just exploding. Uh, people's pipelines are exploding. And they're, all the, the backwaters of this, the things that just fucking happened. And this, you know, another thing that civilization makes possible. If you have money, you could be a piece of shit like Elon Musk and just say, I'm just going to drill underneath some major cities and we'll see what happens um but if you want to say that i want to go hunt and gather for my sustenance then you end up in jail but you know we we get this really kind of crazy situation these really insane polar opposites so it's like yeah we're there you know there's more wealth going on than ever but more wealth disparity um and i think the more real this becomes 
cognizant or not, I think there is this kind of innate fear that like, okay, maybe this is the worst case scenario. And it gets easier to just soak into individual stuff and find some guru that validates your existence instead of finding something to plug into or something to tie all of these miserable things that you feel into this bigger picture. And so, I mean, it's, it basically becomes this thing where it's not really abstract or it's not really anything that's unknown within our world. It's really just therapeutic. And that's the whole thing about therapy. I'm going to take you in here and give you a place to give an outlet for validation. And when you're looking at the way that hunter-gatherers work, and I know the word community has a lot of negative connotations and a lot of ideas that don't sound very radical, but that's something that's really fucking radical. These societies, egalitarian societies, work because they have each other and they have this relationship with other people and they have this grounding and this context that they exist in. And it's the exact opposite of therapy. But it's therapeutic because you're going through these situations with other people, you're relating to other people, you're relating to the environment around you. And it is really this really awesome, radical kind of thing. And it's not like it's easy, it's not this simple. Uh, but, you know, this is, this is kind of where I see the difference about it. It's not just about saying we're going to face one thing at a time and then we're going to escape into ourselves and try and save ourselves in some degree, but saying that, you know, we're going to get really involved in this thing that's really big and complicated in this wildness, this world that exists, and, you know, really grasp some of the worst of it by looking at the history of it and the realities of how it all plays out. Uh, and, you know, try and find ground here with other people to build something that's genuine, build something that's real. But that doesn't make any of the concepts or any of the things that push people in that direction any less depressing. And in fact, I think it gets more depressing when you get these little glimpses of how things could be or how things operate or how the world works and see that, you know, the beauty of it isn't in, in being perfect or in being this kind of like pre-fall Eden kind of paradise shit or something like that. But just that these things function, these things work for a reason. And, you know, the earth has gone on this way for forever until a very period, short period of time. And in that short period of time, we are just, fucking wiping it all out we're just demolishing it and we're just coming to terms with it being like well you know i'll recycle or i'll do this or that or i'll sign a petition here or there but you know what can i do and throw my hands up what, what can i do which is a big relevant question in a lot of ways but at the same time it's kind of a asinine presumption that you know you you deserve the right to give up uh and i you know i'm not trying to just like just wreck on people for it i i get where all that comes from and i guess what i get why you wouldn't want to dig into some of this stuff but it doesn't change the reality of it so you know i mean i i don't know i don't have necessarily always great great advice for how to to see the world in a better way but it's because you know when you look at the world and see and understand more about it and get more grounding in it which i think everybody should and everybody has available to them uh you know the the other side of it is is this this side it's like you can't rewild without resistance you can't you know fall in love with something without wanting to defend it i mean that's just the nature of how we work as as a social animal as a you know human being so kevin i think about 30 minutes ago or maybe not that long ago but <laughs> somewhere in there when when you were speaking you, you you went down this road of talking about gurus and i was thinking that it's a lot easier for people to have someone lead them down a path um, rather than engage something on their own and create uh, wha you know, their own life, whatever it is. But it's, it's much easier to, and I think that's you know, what gives ideologies uh, 
their juice basically is that you have this set core beliefs you have these people that you can go engage and kind of follow and read whatever listen to their podcasts you know and that's the way you engage with it and that's enough and that's your uh, uh yeah that's in a nutshell that is your engagement with whatever it is that you think is resisting that's basically it's another form of consumerism and you've got this uh or corporate leader like whatever Elon Musk you can even look at at him and like people follow him and uh because wow look at all his stuff he's created all these engineering companies and he's been able to quote unquote do stuff you know maybe that's the the issue with um why Anarcho-primitivism, primal anarchy is not really gaining a, a huge foothold is there's no, like, corporation, for <laughs> lack of a better term, pushing it forward. And there shouldn't be. And that's, that's the point, right? But that is also, it's hard to come up with an alternative uh, to what exists out there today and for it to gain traction pick up speed that's a very difficult thing to do when it's so easy to fall back behind all these paths that are given to you laid out for you within civilization yeah i definitely have to agree and i mean we, we know that so many gurus are kind of latching onto these kind of ideas and it's a pretty common theme and we see it with rewilding and we see it with a lot of the stuff but uh you know with paleo um and everything it's there there is that core within it that these are essentially the same ideas you are hunter gatherer you're better off as a hunter gatherer here we can do these things and here's a, a bar you can buy that simplifies all that and you know that's you know i mean that's something very intentional i mean that's the the outcome of some of that uh ultra left stuff that you know come out and probably we're talking about and john's talked about a lot uh and even some of the anarchist stuff that's that's come out talking about ideology and talking about you know, the importance of, of leaving these blanks in here and the importance of saying it's like, you know, if we're going to tell you how this works, if we're going to show you a blueprint, then there, you know, there's nothing there. There's just no good end to that. You know, these are, there are certain degrees to which these are questions and there are answers. You know, the big answer isn't like, well, what do I do? Um, you know, you were just trying to say like, this is, this is a path. This is a way to getting to those questions or getting to those actions that you know it, you you really do have to think on your own you have to talk with other people you have to deal with other people if you can buy it and use it then it's just a commodity and that's all it ever will be and that's what a lot of these ideas are and a lot of what the things that they boil down to really come down to so uh yeah i mean it, it is more complicated and i get that that can make people afraid or it can make people turned off it's a lot less easy than you know kind of a plug and play thing but that's I think that's one of the most important aspects about it. Uh, it's understanding this is, this is how we can function in the world. This is how we have functioned in the world. So what do we do? No, I think uh, you brought something up um, there, Cliff, uh, with ideology as consumption. And, uh, you know, that's just the thing. Maybe it's unnatural in some ways. We uh, we kind of identify ourselves by what we consume, right? There's lots of different native groups where uh, had their names revolve around uh, the food that they would eat. You know, I think of the Menominee in Wisconsin for the wild rice eaters. Um, 
Uh, I think the, the some of the the Inuit were referred to as the raw meat eaters, perhaps. Um, but here we're you know consuming ideology, and that's how we're getting our identity, right? So uh, this is the the information. These are the books that I read, and then this is what I think, um, and that's a very you know um, yeah, capitalist <laughs> uh, way of thinking of things for sure. Uh, the question becomes, you know, maybe what ways can we maybe have our identity revolve around what we do and in what ways can that be, I think the anarcho-primitivism gets at, what ways can we um, simultaneously rewild and resist? Um, and there's no answers of how to do that, but uh, that needs to be our response, not based on consumption, but on on, on that practice which is always kind of interesting too i mean that's you know people say some of the stuff gets kind of heady or things like that are very theoretical as like well you know talking about hunter gatherers or immediate return hunter gatherers and people say it's like oh some of these terms are too complicated it's like well for one i mean I, you talk to a lot of people you can see like they they got drugstore level knowledge about medications uh, you know the idea of being an immediate return hunter gatherer, somebody who immediate, gets immediate return on what they they hunt or forage or, or do, and they hunt and gather. It's like a, again another descriptive thing. This is how people get their food, and horticulturists, gardeners, pastoralists have animals. We're just post-industrial consumers. Like that's it comes down to the same thing, but it doesn't doesn't sustain very well. It's not good sustenance. Yeah. Sometimes when I get bored, um, I spend too much time on YouTube <laughs> looking at random things. And uh, one of the things I came across um, is this cute little kid. He's got to be about nine years old, and he, he's, he's, um, he's a communist. And uh, at nine years old, he's using some um, theoretical Marxist language that you know most adults would have a really hard time understanding. And you watch his videos, and, and, and in a couple of weeks, he becomes like a different kind of communist. He may even become a fascist at some point. It, it, it's, it's, it's really like adorable and strange and bizarre. And sometimes I think this is what like, you know, lots of anarchists have become. They're just, yeah, this, this is the in vogue, in fashion thing that I'm gonna consume and, 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 and repeat. Um, uh, but what is it that's, none of that really matters, right? That's once again, just all based on consumption. What are we gonna do? Everyone said um, everything so well that I really don't have anything to add. So yeah, great job. In terms of ideology, just again, briefly, uh, I remember in the 60s when I was a Marxist, I, I was very aware of how comforting it was that it gives you all the answers. It just has the complete deal. I wasn't a Marxist very long, fortunately, but I mean, that's that's the authority part of it, uh, as well as the consumer part of it. You. It's uh, it's very comforting. It it gives you all the answers, and everything becomes an ism. I mean, that's just one of the most difficult things, maybe even insoluble. You know, whether we call it anarcho-primitivism or primal anarchy. I mean, it still it still has a label, and it has a you know a, a body of ideas, and it's coherent. And it, how is that not an ideology? Of course, some people say, well, there will always be ideologies, but you just pick the best one and go with that. Don't don't even trip on how you get rid of the whole ideological trap. But anyway, it's it's. Uh, I think we've explored a lot, and thanks a lot, Kevin, for 
for bringing us together and uh, focusing and stuff. And uh, anyway, yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you. So there you have it, the first uh, Black and Green Review Editors Roundtable. Unfortunately, Joan and Four-Legged Human were not able to be there, but in the future we hope to be able to have more things like that and uh, be able to record a bit more and get more of those voices on here. So uh, in the meantime, uh, Black and Green Review, you can go to blackandgreenreview.org. There are issues one through five available in the purchase tab there. And number one, you can get the PDF online. I know I have it on archive. There's links on that website as well. Uh, number six is the current issue, which is in its final stages here. Uh, and you can expect to see that towards the end of the year. Uh, so I'll have more updates on that in the future. And I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, once again, uh, if you want to send any comments, you have any things, questions, or anything like that for me, for the podcast, things you want me to discuss for future episodes, you can go to primalanarchy.org. There is a submission tab there. You can send questions through the website, or you can email blackandgreenpress at gmail.com. That is blackandgreenpress at gmail.com. You can send letters to Black and Green, P.O. Box 402. Salem, Missouri, 65560. Again, that is Black and Green, P.O. Box 402, Salem, Missouri, 65560. Uh, Blackandgreenpress.org, blackandgreenreview.org, primalanarchy.org, my own website, kevintucker.org. There's a whole slew of websites there. So uh, any questions, anything else you're looking into, there's a place to hit it up. And once again, uh, on the black, or I'm sorry, at the Primal Anarchy page, there is a support tab for Patreon, PayPal, things like that. And any support is greatly appreciated. Sharing the word, doing reviews, things like that, all much appreciated. All right, till next time. Thanks. Too busy trying to survive capitalism's daily grind to get caught up on the latest anarchist news. Or maybe you're so wrapped up in your own organizing that it's hard to make time to hear about other liberatory struggles. This Rebel Girl has got you covered. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes of The Hotwire, a 30-minute podcast with the latest anarchist news, on-the-ground interviews, a repression roundup, political prisoner birthdays, and announcements for upcoming events. All this and more at CrimeThink.com. <laughs>